You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Hey, this morning I have the special privilege of introducing to you guys a good friend of Katie and mine, uh, pastored in the Phoenix area for a long time when we just, we love them and their family, and now they've taken this really bold step to do something amazing for the kingdom. If you're at the Waves Conference this weekend, then you already met him and you already know how anointed he is, but we really have the blessed privilege to have Jacob Jester with us this morning, and I just want you guys to give him the best and most amazing welcome that you can. Amen. I'm so excited to be here. How are you? See, my thing is, hi. How are you? Good to see you. Super cranky, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, My thing is super honesty, so I like honesty. And if you are not doing well, please tell me. Be like, I'm not good. Just kidding, but seriously. Um, I'm so happy to be here. It's a joy and an honor to get to spend some time here with you guys today and to to speak and declare God's word. And um, so I have three children, just to get that out of the way. I have three children. I've got a little boy named Jude who was born with a big head. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a little boy named Cruz who was born with a big head. And then we've got a girl named Indy who was born with a perfectly sized head. And so when, when she was born, we rejoiced and gave thanks to Jesus that she was born with a normal-sized head because big-headed people understand the trauma of walking uh, headfirst into a room and how much trauma that creates for you as you've tried to explain your big head by uh, saying that's just intelligence, but we know the truth. So, man, I, I'm excited to hang out with you and uh, to be able to share what God's laid on my heart. Um, really briefly, I want to explain to you what God has called my wife and I to do. So for the last five years, we planted a church in Glendale, North Glendale, called Compel Church. And then we, we transitioned that church over to a new lead pastor and, and walked away from this, this child that the Lord had allowed us to give birth to. That was a very unique experience. But for a long time, the Lord has been speaking in my heart about the, the continent of Africa. And the truth is, I believe that God has called us to raise up new people to set foot on the continent of Africa to believe that maybe God would call you into missions. A lot of times what we do as the church, we say, you know what, I pray, God, you would call somebody into missions. God, there's got to be somebody who can do this. God, somebody across the room. God, somebody in the row ahead of me. But the reality is maybe God wants to speak to you. Maybe God wants to call you to do something unique for him. So instead of saying, God, send someone, begin to pray, God, send me. And if God wants to send you, then that's exactly what he'll do. If God wants to call you into something unique, God will call you into something unique. But what I want to do this morning is I want to share from the the Word of God with you this morning, and then we'll go a little bit of a different direction toward the end and believe that God's going to speak to our hearts. So if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter number 6? I did not get you a slide. I apologize. Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 9. The book of Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 9. This is what it says. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It means holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I call this message heaven on earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to be here at Banner Church on a Sunday morning on this great day. God, on this perfect location here in Scottsdale. 
God, I pray that you would speak your word today. God, I pray that lives would be changed, hearts would be turned to you. God, I pray that by the time we leave this room, we will know that we have been in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, I pray that you would have your way. Father, I pray blessing upon this church. God, I pray for the wise boards, God, that you would anoint them. Speak through them. God, anoint this church, God, and every person who walks through its doors every Sunday. God, and I pray that we would hear about the testimonies of life change, God, from the baptisms next Sunday to to the toast off. God, I pray such great things happen here. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said loudly, Amen. amen. So my children like to ask me to watch them play video games, which at first I thought was a little bit awkward. Dad, come watch me play video games. My, my sons like to play football. They play flag football. And so I guess it's like a competition. Dad, come watch me do the thing that I'm good at. So I would go watch my children play Fortnite. Or I would go watch my children play Minecraft. And I have to be honest with you, I found myself getting relaxed while I was watching my son, Cruz, my nine-year-old, play Minecraft. The music is kind of trance-like. And I, as I was watching them play Minecraft, I would, I would find myself propping my head up on a pillow and then laying back, and then my eyes would get heavy. I found myself enjoying watching them play Minecraft, but that didn't happen immediately. The truth is, when my son first told me that he was playing a game called Minecraft, I was a little bit weirded out by it. Because I grew up in church. My entire life was spent in church. I was born practically on the back row of the church. My dad was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. When I was 10 years old, my dad became a missionary to Africa. And so I grew up in church. And there's one word that if you grew up in church, you got to learn to stay away from. It's the word craft. Because it was always used with the word witch. Witchcraft. And when my, my son said, Dad, come watch me play a game called Minecraft, I was like, got to be demons involved in this somehow. There's got to be some sort of demonic activity in the game called Minecraft. You're not creating anything with the word craft that doesn't somehow involve the dark arts. And I was concerned about it. I was, I was taken aback. So I went my first time to watch my son play Minecraft with a little bit of caution. I went into the room and I was like, I'm going to watch you with a little bit of caution. And I realized something really quickly. That the game Minecraft is nothing more than one thing. It's nothing more than mining the earth's ore to create a structure, to create a building. In other words, to create a world. And if you're very creative, you can create some extensive, extraordinary worlds. And so because my children are creative, I found myself totally engaged with their building. I found myself starting to play myself. Uh, But because I'm terrible at the game, I would dig the most intricate holes that you have ever seen. Just digging holes all day long. I'm, I'm carving out mountainsides and, and inviting my children to come live in the hole I created in the side of a mountain. But, but I realized that the entire purpose of the game, Minecraft, is to create a foundation for something that is built upon. To create a foundation for something that you can begin to build something marvelous upon. And the only way that you're going to be able to do that is if you are willing to mine the earth to create something special so that eventually you can build something important upon it. What I want to talk to you about this morning is the foundation that you're building not only for your life but for the lives to come. For the people who are going to walk in the doors of this church. For the families that you're going to build. For the children that you have or that you're going to have. Because I believe that God has called the church not to just exist, but to build something extraordinary. And if we're not building something extraordinary, we are not living out the mission of God. 
If we're not building a foundation that outlasts my lifetime, then somehow, somewhere along the way, we have missed the calling of God. Your job is not to walk through the doors of the church. Your job is to experience God in the church and then take what you're learning here into the world you exist in. That's how your life and the lives of people in your life are going to be changed. See, when my dad said yes to missions when I was 10 years old, he didn't know it, but he was building a foundation for my life that was going to be something I would stand upon today. When you say yes to the call of God, you set your foot upon a foundation that you don't even realize is something God is going to build something extraordinary upon. So I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning about building the kingdom of God. I need you to know from the beginning, I'm sure you've already figured this out, I'm a nerd deep in my bones. Some of you try to pretend like you're not a nerd, but when we get around you, we know. Spend some time with you, it makes a lot of sense. People, people get to realize how nerd-like you are when you begin to tell them about what you like, that I enjoy playing Minecraft, that I enjoy the Lord of the Rings trilogy, that I have fun with Star Wars. You begin to realize people are super nerds. I, I spend a lot of time watching technology blogs. I know things about technology that probably I shouldn't know. Because I, I find myself going to technology websites. And so when I, was, when I was 9, 10 years old, and for the very first time, I'm watching a movie called The Sword and the Stone. Have, it's a classic Disney movie, The Sword and the Stone. And the entire story of The Sword and the Stone, come on, brother. The story of The Sword and the Stone is about King Arthur, who had to pull a sword out of a rock, then God was going to anoint him to be the king over England. But only the one who was anointed to pull the sword out of the stone was going to be the king of England. When I watched that movie for the first time in 1988, I didn't realize that it was already a classic by that point. It had already been out for like 65 years at that point. And so when I watched it for the first time, I was blown away by Wart who pulls the sword out of the stone. One of the greatest authors of the modern era is a man by the name of T.H. White. He wrote a classic about this story. And he said that he found, it's fiction, but he said he found the grave of King Arthur. And it says, here lies King Arthur, king once and king to be. I was intrigued by that. Because I thought that stood in a stark contrast to a man who was born in Bethlehem, who was raised in Nazareth, who was born in a barn, who died on a cross, and one day is going to come back and receive the earth to come to inside, who is the true one king, who is going to live eternally. And you and I are called by God to build the kingdom of God. We are called not to build upon someone else's kingdom. We're not called to build our own kingdom. We are called to build the now and future kingdom of God. We are called to do something extraordinary for the sake of the gospel. In fact, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God or, or the kingdom of heaven often. The very first message that Jesus preached was about the kingdom of God in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I would bet that most of us in the room do not walk down the streets throughout our day just looking up at heaven and thinking, man, I wonder what it's going to be like. Just want to dream about heaven. Just lay around dreaming about heaven, holding hands with your girl, be like, heaven. <laughs> Nobody really just thinks about heaven. Nobody just sits around and processes what heaven is going to be like. But when Jesus started to preach the kingdom of God was near, today we know that it's here. And yet we know from scripture that the kingdom of God is still coming. 
And according to Jesus, we should continue to pray for the arrival of the kingdom of God. In verse number 10, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I want to explain it for just a moment. What then is the kingdom of God or where is the kingdom of heaven? So the kingdom of God is any place where God is king. And anywhere where God is worshipped and proclaimed as the Lord is his kingdom. In other words, if Jesus is your Lord and you proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and he lives inside of you, everywhere you go becomes a part of the kingdom of God. He is building his home and his throne in you and through you because you have become a citizen of heaven. And if Jesus is your Lord, you are doing something spectacular by, for God simply by speaking the name of Jesus. Jesus gave us the best explanation of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. He noticed the comparison. He says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I want to ask you a question. What is the state of heaven in comparison to the state of the earth? See, in heaven, God's perfect will is carried out to perfection. In heaven, there is no sickness, pain, or death. There is no division, rebellion, gossip. There are no poor, no needy, no marginalized. There is no unjust justice. There are no crooked politicians, bribes, civil wars, tragedy, or natural disaster. In heaven, God is eternally worshipped and adored. In heaven, Jesus is recognized as the one true God, and he has face-to-face -face relationship with his son and his daughters. And I expect that most of us in the room would love one day to be in the presence of Jesus, walking through heaven. It's far better than the other word that starts with an H. We want to be in the presence of Jesus. But, but right now, earth and heaven don't look very much the same, do they? So I'm a nerd, remember? And I told you I love the Lord of the Rings movies. I was and am a big fan. And if you've never seen them, and I find that some people have not seen them, especially Gen Z. They're like, I don't know anything about Bilbo, and I am disgusted. <laughs> Sickens me to know that about you. <laughs> so I loved the Lord of the Rings movies. In fact, I loved it so much that I went to all three of the midnight shows when they premiered. I am super dating myself. I was still in college. But I went to all three midnight shows for the Lord of the Rings movies. And when the Lord of the Rings, the two towers came out at the midnight show, I was going to go with my dad. So my dad and I were getting ready to go and storms had come through the city. We were living in the Midwest and storms were coming through. There were tornadoes everywhere. Sirens were going off. But I was committed. <laughs> I went to the midnight show of the Lord of the Rings and I got in line. The, the issue that I have is that I'm super anal about my movies. I'm not anal about a lot of things. I take that back. But I am super anal about going to my movies. So I got in line two hours in advance with all the people dressed up like Gandalf and Bilbo who had spent a lot of money going to Party City. And I'm standing in line with these people getting ready to go into the movie. We get into the movie. We're sitting there. And just before the movie is supposed to begin at midnight, the power goes out in the theater. Power out. Can you imagine uh, 250 people who had spent money at Party City to get a three-foot beard? Now we're starting to get a little bit irritated in this room. You could feel the tension. You could sense the irritation. An hour went by and we were sitting there. And then behind me, Gandalf stood up with his staff. <laughs> and he said, play the movie. I said, yes. Come on, Gandalf. Play it. Come on. 
Finally, about 1 a.m., the movie started, and, and after three hours of being in that film, we walked out at 4 o'clock in the morning. Moral of the story is if you're going to watch a midnight show, it should not be a three-hour movie. And you should not go in the middle of tornadoes and warnings. They're there for a reason. Y'all don't have to deal with that here, but understand me. Maybe it's a haboob coming through. You got to deal with some things sometimes. See, the common theme of these movies is always the same. It's good versus evil. It's the good in those who choose to no longer endure but move forward to advance the agenda of what the good king wants to do in life. So in that sense, I would propose that most of us in the room do think about the kingdom of heaven. We long for the kingdom of God. We long to know and experience God. But right now, earth doesn't look like heaven, does it? But here's the good news. Anywhere that Jesus is made known and in anyone that Jesus is king, the kingdom of heaven partially reflects heaven. Because when you accept Jesus as your Lord, you become that citizen of heaven. And we know that one day Jesus is going to return to finish the job that he started to establish the kingdom of God here on the earth permanently. This is what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 11. Then the seventh angel blew the trumpet and there were loud voices in the heavens saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But what will heaven be like? Will I be bored? Do I live next to my in-laws? Do dogs go to heaven? Man, it's something y'all got to think about. But there's a longing to be with Jesus. But Jesus is not a chubby baby wrapped in pampers and hopping from cloud to cloud. In fact, the Jesus that I serve is a strong and a magnificent Lord who is worthy to be praised. He's not a, a cautionary figure. He is a strong and a magnificent Lord. He will fight my battles for me. In fact, the scripture says that if God be for me, who can be against me? If Jesus is just a weakling, then I would not him to want him to be on my side. But because Jesus isn't a weakling and that he is a warrior, I will never have to fight my battles by myself. You will never have to fight a battle on your own. Do not try to go into war without the warrior standing next to you. Don't try to fight your battles without the Son of God walking with you. He has promised to never leave you nor forsake you, to always be by your side. So when you've got a, a war to fight, watch the warrior go out in front of you. When you've got a battle to walk into, let the Son of God come and fight that battle for you. If God is for you, it means there is nothing in the world that can attack you, that can take over you because you've got him fighting with you. This is what the scripture says. This is what the scripture says. It says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. What does that mean? It means that weapons will form against you. There will be attacks for your marriage. There will be attacks against your children. There will be attacks against your business, against your sanity, against your confidence, against this church. But no weapon formed against you will prosper. The weapons of our warfare, the scripture also says, are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What are the weapons of your warfare? The weapons of your warfare are twofold. They are prayer and they are worship. When you pray, the Son of God comes to you. And when you worship, you entrust to Him everything that you are infuriated by. When you worship, you let go of your own stress and you trust your stress to the Savior. And the Savior takes your stress and he turns it into the folly for fighting the battle with you. Your first response should always be worship. 
Even in the storm, you should worship. Even in the fire, you should worship. Even in the difficulty, you should worship. Even in the fire, you should begin to lift up your hands and say, not my will, but yours be done. He has promised to be with you. He's promised to stand with you. He will never leave you. I don't know who I'm talking to, but somebody in the room needs to know that worship can be the thing that gets you through this season. Worship can be the thing that gets you through this season. I believe that God is speaking to somebody for a moment this morning. See, when Jesus comes back, we'll have a new heaven and a new earth, and it's exciting. And so we appreciate what Paul said. Paul said this, one of the greatest apostles of the New Testament. In fact, maybe the greatest. He said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. It means that when I die, I stand in the presence of Jesus. So I don't, I don't worry about death here on the earth. Because I can literally be in the presence of Jesus. I do not invite death, but I do not worry about it. I remember when I was a kid, six years old, remember I grew up in church. Six years old. I knew Jesus was coming back any day. My dad was a pastor, and my dad used to close every single message just like this. I bet you don't do this. Every single message he would close. And he would say, I don't know if there's anybody in the room. Remember, I grew up in the South. Can you tell? My dad would say, I don't know if there's anybody in the room who has never made a decision for Jesus. You never know what's going to happen when you leave the building. You could walk out and you could be hit by a truck right out there. You never know. You could die tomorrow. I mean, I got saved every single week. (laughs) I don't want to be hit by a truck. And my dad would talk about like random things that could happen. A limb could fall on you, chop off your head. You never know what could happen. I'm like, I don't want a limb to fall on me, Jesus. I knew that Jesus was coming back any day. And so when I was six years old, I remember in my bedroom, I was lying there. And I knew that tomorrow we were getting ready to go to a theme park. It's called Magic Springs, and I couldn't wait to go to Magic Springs. I'd never been there before. I'd heard incredible tales of the log ride and the roller coasters. And at six years old, it's all I could think about for days was going to Magic Springs. And I remember lying in my bed the night before we were going to Magic Springs, and I started to pray. I said, Jesus, you know that I love you. I really, really, really do, and I know that one day you're going to come back. Just please not tomorrow. Please just wait one more day. I'd I'd really want to go through the log ride, Jesus. Please. (laughs) One more day. When I was 16 years old, the junior senior banquet, I went to a Christian school. We didn't dance. It was sinful. So we (laughs) went to a junior senior prom. I wanted this girl to go with me, and and I asked her several times. We were friends, but not in a romantic way, you know, according to her. (laughs) I wanted... I wanted to be in a romantic way. So I asked her to come with me two or three times, and she said no, and it was starting to get weird, affecting our friendship. And finally, I was like, come on, one more. I, just come with me to the junior-senior banquet. I can't wait. It's going to be a great day. We're going to have so much fun. Let's go. And finally, she said yes. You don't know how excited I was to go with this young lady whose name at the moment slips my mind. So I was excited to go to the banquet with this girl. Night before the banquet, I'm lying in bed, and I said, Jesus, you know I love you. And I know that one day you're going to come back, and I'm, I'm ready. I really am ready. But I've gotten like halfway stalker with this girl. And I wonder if you could just wait one more day. 
I met my wife when I was 20 years old. Amazing. She was quiet. I didn't think she talked for like a month. Started doing sign language around her, just surprised. That's a joke. But I found out she spoke. Dark, olive-colored skin, brown hair. I was so enamored with her. And finally, I asked her to be my wife, and she said yes, and we were engaged for 11 months. It's a long time. It's inappropriate. It's a long time. But not before we were supposed to get married. I'm 23 years old, man. I've been in church my entire life, loving on Jesus, doing my thing, trying to be holy and pure. And the night before we were getting married, I'm laying in bed. (laughs) Jesus, I love you. (laughs) I am 23. (laughs) Hey, you know I've been so holy. (laughs) Father, I I know you're going to come back one day, and I really, I can't wait. You know, I can't wait. Can you wait just one more day? Well, let's, let's get through the first day, Jesus, and then come back, receive your church, I pray, God, in Jesus' name. And I was so concerned, right? The struggle that we have as humanity is that we begin to think about the things that are peripheral instead of beginning to focus our hearts and our minds back on who Jesus is and what Jesus wants to do in our life. See, there's some of us in the room that you've become so focused on trying to keep up with the Joneses. You become so focused on what your business is going to look like. You become so focused on your 401k and making sure that one day retirement works out the way that you expect it would now. We become focused on the things rather than on the one who gave us all the things to begin with. Your focus shouldn't be on when Jesus comes back. Your focus should be on preparing and anticipating the return of a magnificent heavenly father who one day is going to sweep us all up and we will spend eternity in the presence of the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. See, we begin to value eternal possibilities. Somebody always says this. Isn't this just escapism, Jacob? Shouldn't we work to make the earth better while we live here? And the answer is always a resounding yes. You should be a part of the volunteers in this church. You should show up on Sunday to hand out the worship guide. You should be staring this dude down on the drums. Who, who played the drums? What was your name again? Nino. Nino. You should be looking at Nino and be like, I'm better than that. (laughs) I'm better. If you can play the drums, you should be eyeing him and be like, can't believe I haven't tried out yet. This is ridiculous. I can't believe I haven't tried out. I'm so mad at myself. If you have a talent that you've not put to use in the church, then you're wasting your talent. Don't allow your talent to go to waste in the kingdom of God. It is a mistake that you'll regret one day. God gave you something to be used for him, not to be used for yourself. I don't know what your talent is. Maybe it's chair straightening, and you can come in on Sunday morning and be like, maybe your talent is children, and you're just holding out because you're like, no, I got three kids of my own. Oh, I'll preach. With the band, go ahead and come back to the stage. C.S. Lewis said this in his book, half the place. C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity, he said, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, 
the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on the earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective at this. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Our job is to keep our heart set on heaven and yet our feet planted solidly on the ground. And when you are keeping your heart set on heaven, but your feet on the ground, then you will begin to make the impact that you were born to make. You will make the impact that God has destined you to make. Do you want to be a kingdom builder? Are you ready to help build the kingdom of God? Because every person in this room can be a kingdom builder, but not everyone is. Every person in the house can choose to help build up God's church. Some of us in the room haven't taken that step forward yet. See, Satan is vile and crafty, and he will tell you to work on you. He'll say, hope for dreams, and then chase those dreams. He'll say, it's all about you. You'll get exhausted, and he'll say, girl, work on you. Take some time for you. He'll, he'll look at you and say, bro, man, you got to take some you time. And there is a truth to that, but at the same time, a you time that becomes an all about me time takes my focus off of his time. It takes the focus off of him and what God wants to do in my life. See, my kingdom is where we get stuck working to build our own hopes and our dreams. It's my ambition. It's what I want, what I hope for. But God's kingdom says, I will build my foundation upon the word of God, upon the truth of scripture. And when I build God's house, I know that he will take care of my house. If you will build the kingdom, God will take care of your kingdom. When you build what God has called you to, He will cause what you have to increase. He will grow you when you seek to grow His kingdom. When you build His church, He'll build you. He will build everything that you're called to as long as you are willing to build Him up first. It's the reason C.S. Lewis said, aim at the earth and you'll get nothing. Aim at heaven and you'll get the earth thrown in. There has to be something special to you about aiming for Jesus. So I want to give you some things really quickly. First thing is, you need to begin to build the kingdom in your heart. Pray your will be done. Your will be done, Lord. It's a battle, but you can do this. Number two, build the kingdom with your actions. Seek to end injustice this year. Feed the hungry. Go to the outreaches the banner puts on. Make sure that you are here every time the opportunity presents itself. Actions speak louder than words. My word says one thing, but my actions backed by my words speak something entirely different. Number three, build the kingdom with your resources. Give God your time, your talent, and your treasure. Give God your time, your talent, and your treasure. If you give God your time, it's one of the most incredible investments that you can give back to God. And number four, build the kingdom with your words. We've heard that old saying, this old saying that says, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. And sometimes it's necessary to use words. There's a reason why people haven't been coming to church with you on Sundays. There's a reason why nobody in your workplace is saying, hey, can I go to church with you? It's because looking holy is not.
not the same thing as saying, come to church with me. But Jacob, I've been, I've been walking through church with my hands stretched out like this. I've been walking through my workplace in a receiving manner. And nobody has asked me to go to church. It's because you look weird. And nobody's going to come with somebody who looks and sounds strange. Sometimes you've got to be willing to say, come with me. Come with me. I believe that the Lord is going to speak to somebody about the foundation that you're building. To build God's kingdom from that foundation. I believe that this morning, somebody in this room is getting ready to receive a word from God that says, I'll be that person who will dedicate myself to building the kingdom of God. Where are you building your foundation? God's kingdom or your own kingdom? Yeah. I met, I met KK for the first time when she was only 18 years old. When I met her, it was her first day of college. And as I became friends with KK, I found out things about her life that were unique. At the age of 10, her mom and dad gave birth to a baby boy. And because they didn't have a relationship with Jesus, they would go out on Friday and Saturday and they would club and they would go party and they would leave her alone to take care of a baby at the age of 10. She, she would say that there were times when a storm would come through and she would be scared. Tornado warnings in this Midwestern city that she grew up in and, and all the while she's holding a baby whispering into his ear, everything's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. At the age of 12, she got invited to church for the first time. This girl in her school said, come with me. So she started going with her, and then, and then she started to get picked up on Wednesday nights to go to the youth service in a van. The van would stop in front of her house, and she would go out, and she would get in, and she would go with the van to church every Wednesday night. That was her life. It was what she did. But at the age of 16 years old, she felt God calling her into missions. Every Sunday, she invited her mom and her dad to church with her, but every Sunday, they would say no. Every Sunday morning, they would say the same thing, we're busy. And so every Sunday, at 16 years old, she would go to church by herself. She would get in her little car, and she would drive to church. 16 years old, she feels called to mission, so she says to her youth pastor, what can I do to raise some money for some missionaries? And he says, go out and mow the lawn. Now, remember, this is the Midwest, and this church had a gigantic lawn, so every Saturday, she would get up and she would go mow the church, she would mow the grass, and then she would come in and she would say, what else can I do? And after saying this, Saturday after Saturday, he, he ordered a case of dishcloths, of wash rags, and he said, tear these in half. So after she mowed the lawn, she would tear these washcloths in half to raise money for missionaries. And at the end of the summer, after tearing hundreds of washcloths and mowing the lawn a dozen times, she raised $2,000 to give to missionaries on her own at the age of 16. At the age of 17, she went on her first missions trip. She went down to the Latin American country of Guatemala. And on the very last day, she laid her hands on a young girl to pray for her, and the Lord spoke to her right then and there and said, when you get home, your parents are going to start to serve me. So you can imagine she's excited. She's ready. She goes all the way back home. She, she grabs this gigantic family Bible that they had in their living room, 
back in the day, every house, regardless of where you came from, especially in that part of the country, had like a 15-pound family Bible written in the King James Version that nobody understood. So she picked that gigantic Bible, went into her mom and her dad's room, got in front of her dad, opened up that Bible and said, the Lord told me you were going to serve him. And he said, is that right? every word in this book is a lie and he threw it across the room and that night she cried herself to sleep Sunday the Sunday before Christmas came she asked her dad she said dad I, I wonder if you guys would just come with me to church he said we're busy so the Sunday before Christmas on the Christmas service of her church she got ready to go by herself went to church they sing all the great Christmas carols. Pastor got up, preached a message. And at the end of the message, he said, I wonder if there's anybody here who'd like to give your life to Jesus. And, and KK was sitting on the front row. And she did something that everybody here has done at least one time or another. When he said, bow your head, close your eyes, don't look around. He said, but who is that? I want to see your hand. She opened one of her eyes. You've done this before. You know you have. Pastor Josh says, close your eyes, bow your head. So you do that, and then you, you're like, oh, I hear somebody. <laughs> just so you can know, right? It's not sinful. It's just disobedient. <laughs> so so she, opened, she opened one of her eyes, and she kind of did this, looked around. And there at the back of the church was her dad. Suit and tie. She, she'd never seen that before. He was the only person in the room who had his hands stretched up to the Lord like this. And her dad that day came down to the altar and gave his life to Jesus when she was 17 years old. She started praying for her parents at 12. And they did not give their life to Jesus until she was 17. Do you expect that maybe she went through discouragement? Do you think that she ever walked into the house one day and was getting ready to invite her parents to church and then thought to herself, I can't do this. They say no every Sunday, but there is a commitment level to you and I who understand that we are building a foundation even though we cannot see the bricks being laid every single day of our life. Because the reality of the situation is this. When I met KK's dad for the very first time, she was introducing him to me as her boyfriend. I remember thinking to myself how he had been angry and I'd heard all these stories about him being violent and how he used to yell and scream and shout and in the 15 years that we've been married in the 18 years that I've known her I've never seen him once raise his voice and I've never seen him once become angry why? because that is the power of the life change that Jesus brings to people who commit themselves to him and when my, when my father-in-law heard that we were going into missions, he said, we will give you $500 a month. That is a remarkable sacrifice for that family. And here's the situation that I love to tell. My wife was building a foundation for her family, for my family, long before she ever saw results. Long before anybody ever dedicated themselves to Jesus because she prayed for her family. Never give up because you don't know when God begins to change the atmosphere. You don't know when God begins to change the story. Change the narrative through your dedication keep going and maybe you're in the room and saying Jacob I don't know but 
I think God wants to help you build a foundation for someone. Maybe there's somebody in the house that says, man, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to give my heart in service to Jesus. I want to dedicate myself to him more than just showing up. I want to do the work of the gospel. Particularly, I want to pray for you this morning that God speaks specifically, explicitly to somebody in this room to become a missionary. Start building the foundation for a country. Man, I keep hearing Cameroon in my heart. It's Central African. And maybe God will speak to you and say, man, Jacob, I'll go to Cameroon. I'll, I'll set foot into that country. I'll do what God's called me to do. I will, I will become a kingdom builder for the people in the nation of Cameroon. You have to learn French. You can do it. I'll be a kingdom builder. But maybe that's not what God speaks to you in a minute. Maybe God calls you to children's ministry. Maybe God calls you to youth ministry. Maybe God calls you to walk up and down the streets of Central Phoenix and, and reach people in Melrose. Maybe God will begin to speak to your heart about ministry to the LGBTQ community. Maybe God will speak to your heart and the homeless all of a sudden will begin to flood into your mind. I pray that God speak to you. But I'm praying specifically God speak to people on Africa missions because that's my job. That is literally my job. So this is what I want to do. We're going to pray. Just a second, I'm going to ask everybody in the room to stand to your feet. And we're just going to pray. And I'm going to pray for you. And I want you to begin to pray and say, God, don't just, don't just send somebody. Send me. Don't just send somebody. It's easy to pray. Send them over there. They look like they can be good at it. Say, Lord, send me. And if God gives you the call, he'll give you the tools. He'll do something through you. Would you go ahead and stand to your feet with me for a moment? I'm going to pray for you in just a moment, but before I do, I want you to begin to pray for you. I want you to begin to say, Lord, help me. Speak to me. Come on, just begin to lift your voice. You don't even have to know how to pray. You just need to know how to say, here I am, Jesus. Here I am, Jesus. Here I am, Jesus. Here I am, Jesus. I'm here. I'm waiting. I'm standing here, Father. How can you use me, God? How can you use me? Use me, Jesus. Do something through me. Father, I pray right now that you begin to speak to the hearts of people in the room right here. God, I pray you begin to speak to people from the front to the back, from side to side. God, I pray you begin to speak encouragement into them. I pray you begin to speak life into them. God, I pray that you begin to speak into the middle of their situations right now in Jesus' name. Call them out of the struggle and into the peace of Jesus into the peace of the Father right now in Jesus' name. God, I pray blessing in Jesus' name. But I also pray, God, that those who are feeling the flame, a little flame in their heart, God, I pray you will begin to fan that flame now in Jesus' name. Specifically, God, I pray you would speak to people about missions on the continent of Africa right now in the name of Jesus, to South Africa, to Tanzania, to Mali, God, to Senegal, God, to Benin, Father, to the Congo right now in Jesus' name. Lord, to Sudan. Oh, we need people to go to Sudan right now in Jesus' name. It's going to be tough in some situations, but God is for you, and nothing can be against you if God is on your side. Speak, I pray, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. If God has been speaking to you this morning, or if he speaks to you later, I want you to look up at the screen. There's a little website there that's a landing page. It says, I want to be a missionary.com. 
God speaks to you today, fill that little form out on there. It's super short. It's like three lines. Somebody will be in touch with you about how we can walk that out with you. I want to be a missionary.com. How we can walk with you on the journey of faith, of decision, as you set your heart upon a mission from God that changes your life. Come on, yeah. one more time. Let's just begin to pray and worship the Lord Jesus. We bless you. We bless you. We thank Spirit. you, Jesus.